As we get started, let's pray here for a second, just kind of reset the afternoon. This session is going to be uh, punchy. It's going to be quick. It's not, we're not going to waste your time. It's the afternoon. We've got a great night ahead of us, and so when we're done, we'll be done. Uh, so just a heads up. The question is, what are Sundays for? What are we trying to accomplish on the weekends? Why does church still matter? Uh, so let's open here in prayer, and then we'll jump in. So Father, here we are people called by your name, and we trust that you are the good shepherd, and it's your job to get us into green pastures. It's your job to get us beside quiet waters. It's your job to restore our souls, and so we give you permission, Lord, to take our lives and do what you want with us. We come before you, Jesus Christ. You are the very word of God, and so, Jesus, walk among us today by your spirit. Holy Spirit, would you Give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to receive what you're saying to the church. And so come move among us and have your way. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. amen. So um, why Sundays? What are we trying to accomplish? Why church? Uh, Pastor Brady's talk last night was so refreshing to me because he all gave us permission to actually name the things that we think. And uh, have you ever been at church and you wondered, uh, what am I doing? Why do we do this? Have you ever felt discouraged as a pastor or a leader in the church and had one of those moments where you just said, what's, what's going on here? Well, today I want to present a way of understanding Sundays where all of the heavy lifting has to be done by God. You know, for the gospel to be the gospel, it means that the, the, the Lord has to do the work. And so today I want to put that in front of you, but I want to start with a story. Um, I'm the great-grandson of a man from Monastraki, Greece. His name was Hieronymus Athanasius Asimakopoulos. Um, dare you to say that five times. People think you got filled with the Spirit, you know. Hey, Hieronymus. Um, so he came, he was the youngest of ten kids, and he came, this is his picture right there. Uh, he came when he was 12 years old, got on a boat in Greece. Uh, his mom said, you'll have a better life in America. His dad had just died, and the older nine children were working. And so the youngest, she put on a boat by himself, and she said, I love you. Have a great life, and never saw him again. Didn't speak a word of English. He got on the boat, landed at Ellis Island, Statue of Liberty, when he was 13, and he started working his way west on the railroads. So he built the railroads or maintained the railroads from east to west. And he got to Idaho. He, he met a girl in West Virginia. They got married, uh, started having babies, and they saved all their money as they worked out west. They got to Idaho, and they got off the train tracks, and they said, this is it. This is home. Right on the Snake River, and they bought 2,000 acres there from the Nez Perce Indian tribe. And so Hieronymus, my great-grandfather, noticed that doing business with people, it was kind of hard because everyone was butchering his name. And it just got kind of funky, and someone said, you got to get a new name. So he went to the courthouse, and this is a clipping out of the newspaper. Uh, he had to write a letter and had to go file at the courthouse to get a new name. And if you could read this article, which I've read it before, if you could read it, basically, 
He was at the courthouse, and so his first name was Hieronymus, and so he changed it to Harry. Someone said, well, just it, it's kind of like Harry, so he became Harry. And then Asimacopolis, his last name just meant silversmith. And so they said, well, you could, Smith is the most common last name in the phone book. That works. So why don't you take Smith? And he said, okay, well, that's a good, good thing. And the guy, the stenographer, the court clerk who's at the typewriter, he said, well, Kenneth is a strong name. Why don't you be Harry Kenneth Smith? And he said, put it down. <laughs> Great, awesome. So that day, Hieronymus Athanasius Asmocopolis became Harry Kenneth Smith. This stuff happens, people. Um, so that's my great grandfather growing up as a Greek man, and he would have gone to weddings in Greece. And going to these weddings, what you'd find even to this day is there's this really elaborate dance where people at the end, uh, at the reception, they, three people gather up and they go out on the, the dance floor and they start this really slow song. And they start dancing back and forth and they're holding hands and then eventually they'll lock arms and then the, the music starts picking up, speeding up and going faster. And they've got this all choreographed together. It's called a, a perichoresis, this dance, perichoresis. Peri just means like around, like the perimeter, the outside of. Choris is choreographed. So there's this dance around each other that's choreographed, but there's great trust. And, and you can't do this dance on accident. You have to practice. There has to be unity. There has to be mutuality. There has to be trust. There ha you have to practice this dance together. And so my great-grandpa, Hieronymus would have gone to these weddings and seen this dance. And somewhere in the year about 300, this guy on the, the church scene, St. Athanasius, was, I can imagine, a Greek guy. He was at a Greek wedding, maybe. And he sees these three people go out on the dance floor after a wedding, and they start dancing slowly. And there's this trust and this back and forth, and this swirl of activity and mutuality. And all of a sudden, as it picks up, he's, he goes, wait, that's it. That's what God is like. This is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so for 1,700 years, theologians and artists and poets and sculptors have been trying to say, okay, what is God like? And, and this is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Here's a couple pictures of what different artists have come up with. This is a picture of one rendering of what the Father and Son. Here's another one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this perichoretic trust and mutuality and what you find and the doctrine of the Trinity is that the Son, Jesus Christ, has ever been saying to his Father, I only want to do what I see you doing. And I only want to say what I hear you saying. And into your hands I commit my spirit. And not my will, but thy will be done. The Son from of old has been saying this to the Father. And from of old the Father has been saying, this is my Son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. Go, go in my strength and go in my power. And this back and forth, the Father over the Son and the Son responding to the Father. Theologians have begun to speak of the Spirit of God as sort of the, the, the kiss, the unbroken love between the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit as the expression of the Father, the Father's love for the Son and the Son's love for the Father. And so for 1,700 years, the church has been speaking of Trinity as maybe the foundational doctrine of what is true about God and what is true about the world. Have you ever been with someone who understands the cloud? Like, I'm not an IT guy. I just barely know how to send emails. And... And, but I was with this guy recently, and he was telling me about the cloud, you know? 
like it's out there and then you do this and you do that and this is where like he just knew about the cloud he knew like where it was located and how it worked and i'm just trying to figure out how to send an email but he's talking like ontologically about the cloud you know some of you have some of you like hear trinity and you start sweating You're like oh I don't know what that is, and that, isn't that for the people like the extra credit, people who really know God and people who really have extra time to study? I want to suggest to you today that the doctrine of the Trinity is important for our understanding of the church because of two things. One, Trinity shows us how the world works. Trinity shows us how the world works. You see, there's a great human fallacy that essentially thinks that we're trying to get a disinterested deity to pay attention to us. Hey, God, hey, if I can just, if, if I just do all the right things and if I give and if I fast and if I pray and if I just, then God will be interested in me. We're trying to get God's attention. This is what the great human fallacy is. A disinterested deity who, if you just do the right things, then maybe he'll come your way. But you see, the doctrine of the Trinity says that the whole world is a party and we've been invited into it. Instead of we're trying to get God's attention and maybe some, the clockmaker who wound it up and then just kind of walked away, if we, can, if we can yell loud enough, that's one way of thinking about the world. But the doctrine of the Trinity says the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have of old been locked in the mutuality of love and the back and forth of submission and the kindness and blessing and goodness of unbroken communion. The whole world is a party. And we have been invited into it. You see, the doctrine of the Trinity shows us how the world works. That God has been wooing us up into the dance. Because this is what happens at the Greek wedding. is It starts with three, but then all of a sudden you have the whole room join you. That God, in him we live and in him we move and in him we have our being. And that God is ever beckoning us up into the dance of unbroken love and communion. If we will just hear the call, if we will just respond, if we'll just come out onto the floor, we'll get caught up into what is true. The doctrine of the Trinity is essential for us as the people of God. In him we live and move and have our being. Maybe, as the song says, this is my father's world. This is my father's world, and we're in it, and he's invited us into it. You see, to pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is to believe that God in his very essence is a constant ecstatic celebration of unmitigated love, that it's always going on, that God is love, mutuality shared. You see, if you, have you ever thought that it's unique that we Christians pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? No other religion on the planet does this. That's our unique inheritance to pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Christian theologians have insisted that this is what's true about the world. But the self-made American myth is that this is my world. And it depends on me getting it started. It depends on me keeping it spinning. It depends on me, and if I don't, and it's a dog-eat-dog world, and we're competing, and whoever climbs the ladder, i got to step on you to, to succeed. That's one way of seeing the world, but the Trinity says, no, actually, this is what's true about the world. And there's space, and there's love. The second thing about the doctrine of the Trinity is that Trinity situates our worship rightly. If this is true, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then, then we actually know how to situate our worship and our work rightly. See, Revelation chapter 5 gives us, gives us, gives us, sorry, 
the scene of elders and angels and four living creatures gathered around the throne, casting down their crowns day and night, night and day, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of your glory. You alone are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For with your blood, Jesus, you purchased men and women for God from every tribe and tongue and nation and people group. This is what's actually happening day and night, night and day. We think the reality is what we see on the news station, but actually Revelation 5 shows us what's true about the world. And if that's true, then we know how to worship. We know we can enter into the story that is already going on. We don't have to start a story. Trinity matters for us people. You see, what happens when we lose a Trinitarian understanding of God is that we begin to approach God the wrong way. Sort of the Unitarian view of God, oh, oh, most holy and singular block of bruising divinity, hear thou our prayer that thou mightest not crush us into oblivion. That's God as this sort of force. But Trinity says, no, God is being in relationship. God is friendship, God is communion, God is kindness, God is love, God sees the other, God is deferential, God trusts, God opens the door for some, God has space within himself. The Unitarian view is, is, is a picture of the Wizard of Oz, you come in and there's someone behind the curtain. You are approaching the great and powerful Oz, you know, and everyone runs out. That's what a Unitarian view of God is, but a Trinitarian view of God. If this is true, then we can enter into that dance. Without a Trinitarian understanding, worship becomes our initiatory work. It all depends on us. We've got to start the party. We've got to get God's attention. We've got to take charge of our own lives. We've got to make sure that we can pay our own bills. We've got to make sure. And if it means I have to step over you to live, you see, Trinity situates us within God's world. And it shows us what's true about God's world. A story that comes to mind a few months ago, Lisa and I were at our house and some friends came up for dinner, some of our neighbors and we had coffee going, and we had food on the table, and there was kids everywhere. And we were just having a great time. And it was loud, and it was a celebration, and we were telling jokes and laughing really loud. And the windows were open, and it was just a nice early summer night. All of a sudden, Lisa jumps up from the couch, and she runs over to the front door around the corner. She opens up the front door, and she yells, hey, get over here. Get in here. Come on in here. I said, what's she doing then? So I run around, and I hear someone, oh, it's okay, you got company. And, no, get over here, I mean it, come in this house. So I go over to the front door, and it's our neighbors, the bushes, and they were walking by with their three boys. And so Lisa finally said, no, I'm serious, come in this house right now. And so they came in the house, and we got them some coffee, and they, there was plenty of food, and they sat down, and the kids just became sort of a part of the nebulous blob of humanity that, that is the kids running around a house while the parents are talking. And so it was just seamless. It was beautiful. And they got in on the laughter and the, the back and forth, and there's this whirlwind of, of joy and activity and love and kindness and generosity. And at the end of the night, it, it, we stayed up way too late that night. I think it was 9.15 we sent everybody home, you know. Like all the kids, you know, we just, we paid for it the next day, but it was worth it. And at the end of the night, we were walking out with all our friends and with all the kids, and I 
think everyone was there. And we got to the front door, and our friends who Lisa had demanded they come in our house, she screamed at them, you know. They said, we could have never known this. We didn't plan on this tonight. We just thought we were going on a walk. But this is exactly what we needed. We couldn't have done anything better tonight than this. You see, we live in a world where people think, why church? I want to suggest to you, church matters because church is the place where we learn what's true about the world. That the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are ever sharing that unbroken and indivisible love that that we in the church find that we've been invited into God's party and that we don't have to actually go start a party and hope God comes to it. This is my Father's world. Like, have we forgotten the truth? And church, every single week we say, no, no, this is my Father's world. And we've been invited into the party. And so Monday morning, you're going to get up and you're going to go to work. You actually don't have to go act as if this is your world to manage. Why don't you just trust the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Why don't you just share your life? And if your enemy slaps you, give them the other cheek. And if they ask you to go one mile, go, the, go two. And, and you can actually bless those that curse you and pray for those who despitefully use you. Because you are living under the reign of the one who is unbroken love in person. Father and Son. And Holy Spirit, church matters, people. Because the world tells us that we're on our own. Because the world tells us that we have to be in charge. Because the world tells us that if we show any sign of weakness, then we're going to get overtaken. God actually says, actually, come into my rule. Come into my love. Come into my life. What if on Sunday mornings and on Friday nights, or maybe you have Saturday night church, we spent our time situating people and their work and their worship under the reign of the one who is and was and is to come? I think that is our work as the people of God, to tell people the truth about the world that we live in, that it is our Father's world.